Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smolders. This is The Sandman, Issue 32, A Game of You, Chapter 1. So for anybody who's been reading along somehow to the original numbered editions, this is the one where our episode number changes from the issue number because we're going along with the collected trade paperbacks. And the next trade paperback is A Game of You, which starts off with issue 32. Mm-hmm. However, the last issue we covered was issue 28 in oh. Season of Mists. So what happened in between? That would be issues 29, 30, and 31, which are each individual standalone stories. And they are collected in the Fables and Reflections collection, which is after Game of You. So we are going to get to those stories, but after we're done A Game of You, we're going to do Fables and Reflections, and we'll get 29, 30, and 31, and then a few more, few others, and that will catch us up to the numbers that we're supposed to be on. Okay. Yeah. And I think in there, there's also the Sandman uh, special, which is uh, has no number of its own. It's the story of Orpheus. We'll get to that one as well. A special, like a Christmas special? I think it was a special one-shot release. I think it's just called The Sandman Special. All right. I haven't got my research done on it yet, so I'm not entirely sure. It's been a while since I've read it uh, as anything but just another part of the Fables and Reflections collection, which is the next one we're getting to. So this is A Game of You, brand new storyline, starting with issue 32. Its cover date is November of 1991, but it was actually in stores on September 17th, 1991. The title... A Game of You refers to the question of identity, figuring out who you are. Oh. It's a game of you. Huh. So we've got a lot of talks about identity in this. Lee Salmon Annotations points out that many of the chapters of the storyline have titles taken from songs. The title of this one is Slaughter on Fifth Avenue, which is a reference to the song Slaughter on Tenth Avenue, which is a ballet from the Rogers and Hart musical On Your Toes. And I have uh, Vera and Jean performing, it would be Vera Ellen and Jean Kelly performing in the tragic ballet Slaughter on 10th Avenue from the 1948 movie Words and Music. And here, you can take a look at this. this is a, I think you might like this quite a bit. It's basically a dance performance. And we will embed this entire thing in the show notes at thedreaming.modeofdust.com. That's so interesting. Right, there you go. Wow. That was that was quite the wild ride. The Sandman Annotations also notes that Jonathan Carroll's novel Bones of the Moon has a great many points of similarity with the A Game of You storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, enough so that actually when, when it was pointed out, Neil changed some elements of his story. Uh, I haven't read the book. I haven't read Bones of the Moon, but it's said that uh, if you like The Sandman and if you like Neil Gaiman's writing, you will like Bones of the Moon. Well, I'll make sure that I don't read it until after we're done A Game of You, because I may spoil the story for myself. That is an excellent thought to have, yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the cover, now that we've talked a little bit about the storyline we're going to be talking about. The Dust Covers book does note that the A Game of You covers were generally disliked. Uh, they have this half and half layout, you know, where the top half is this one thing and the other half. And you're reading from the trade paperback. 
I am. Which just has the artwork for the cover plus the words chapter one over top of it. Mm-hmm. But if you take a look at this, I actually have this uh, digital copy of the print version of the, the just the issue 32. The title, The Sandman, is across the black bar in the middle, as is the, and the numbers on the left side of that and suggested for mature readers on the right side of that in the middle of it, where most people are expecting it up at the top of the page. And a lot of people didn't like that. They didn't like that when you would look for the Sandman on the shelves of comic books, the title wasn't up top where you could find it. But Dave McKean points out that if you look at all the sales charts for the Sandman at the time, they just kept going up without any blips at all through a game of you. So people weren't having any kind of problems finding them on the shelves. Uh, And he really likes them. I like them too. I think they look good. I do remember though being a little annoyed at why is the title so low? It makes them look different from all the rest of my comics. Okay. I could see being annoyed that they don't aesthetically match the other ones, Mm -hmm. but I do really like how it's two separate images. Yeah. Uh, tied together. Yeah. Um, up top, you've got a shot of what I'm assuming is New York. I mean, it's looks like a you I know guess, across a the bay and sure. from a from a city. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the way that it fades from red down to blue, mm-hmm. it's a little bit like a like a rainbow. A little bit, yeah. Um, with a few of the middle colors missing. Hmm. And, and then, then who is supposed to be down in the bottom? I am not entirely sure who that is. They have a collar with a leash on. Mm-hmm. And they're smoking a cigarette. One half of the face does kind of look like Gene Kelly. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. The cover is photography, collage, and color Xeroxography. Dave McKean basically mentions taking over a color Xerox machine for a while and forcing it to do things it was never meant to do when he created these bits of artwork. Well, there's the person who's smoking, mm-hmm. who could be the, um, is it Hazel? Later on, when she opens her door, she's smoking. Actually, Wanda smokes. Wanda smokes, but I think this person maybe looks more like Hazel. And then someone's behind them. You can see the face and then arms, their arms are behind their back and it looks like they're shackled. Mm-hmm. And then another figure... Um, behind, like, to the side of that, who's also smoking, who has long hair. That could be Wanda, mm-hmm. who's smoking in the back. Yeah, there's a few yeah. people smoking. We're not sure what's going on here. I like it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's head inside. A snowy, desolate wasteland. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what our city looks like right now. Kind of, yeah. We've got a pretty big snowstorm going on here. And we meet Pernado. We hear, or we don't meet Pernado. We hear the name Pernado. What will we do, Pernado? And it must not happen, Luz, or lose. And we hear about the Tentoblin. And we're pretty sure that's the Tentoblin at the bottom of page one. Oh. Dead in the snow. Oh, yeah. The Tentoblin, he swore to come. He swore to bring us tidings. The Tentoblin will not come. I felt him die. The black guard found him in the night. Huh. Yeah, it took me... I know I had to reread these two pages a couple times mm-hmm. to sort of figure out who was who. Right. Um, because we don't get to see who the characters are. They're just speech bubbles and each have their own color. Yeah. Martin Tenbones is 
the last to speak. Mm-hmm. He speaks in the purple captions. Mm-hmm. Luz speaks in green. Pranado speaks in orange. And Wilkinson speaks in red. Yeah. And then their colors all match their forms later on when we see them. Yeah. They match kind of the main color of, of them, except for uh, Ten Bones, except for Martin Ten Bones. Martin he's, Ten he's, Bones, He's yeah. not purple. Right, right. We did hear about the Cuckoo and their disciples, as well as Martin Ten Bones, back in The Doll's House Part 6. That would be the Sandman number 15. And the Porpentine. As well as the Porpentine. It looks different now when we do eventually see it. But we did hear about this. So this is Barbara's dream world, it mm-hmm. seems. Yeah. Uh, a tantoblin either is a tart or round pastry or a lump of excrement. Interesting. Yeah. I think it might just be that plus goblin. So mm. goblin, I, Neil just took it and yeah, well. The poop goblin. The poop goblin, that could be. We also hear of somebody the next page over, page two, Colonel Knowledge. We don't end up meeting them. The Sandman Annotations points out that might be a play on the words carnal knowledge. Ah, okay. We also hear about Murphy. For the love of Murphy, Wilkinson, will you stop saying that? This is the first mention of Murphy. Seems to be some kind of god. Mm. Then we hear about the Hierogram and the Porpentine. They were both, of course, mentioned as noted in the in the Doll's House. The Hierogram comes from words meaning holy writing. And porpentine is an archaic version of the word porcupine. <laughs> so none of it makes sense, is what you're saying. They're just words. They're just words. They're just words that have been picked. Yeah. Fancy words. Yep. Okay. Martin Ten Bones says that she has not abandoned us. He has the porpentine. The hierogram remains unbroken. The land is far from lost. She cannot have forgotten us, but she may be hurt in her other world. My friends, I've been thinking on this for a long time now, and it seems to me that if she cannot come to us, one of us must go to her. We must call her back. And so he's going to use the porpentine. To go find her. To go find her. Smash cut to Barbie waking up in her, well, by the apartment uh, hallway we see when Wanda visits her shithole apartment. Mm-hmm. Looks pretty run down, I guess. Mm-hmm. She's got some uh, kind of fetishy art photos on the wall there. Some naked people with tattoos and piercings. Yeah, it it all seems very different from what she seemed like when she was living with Hal. Right? That's the impression yeah. I got of her. Yeah, when I with Hal when she was with Hal, she was with Ken, and they were Ken and Barbie, the ultimate boring couple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's got a polka dot sheets and. Uh, all this cool art and stuff. And so the buzzing is uh, is her friend, Wanda, at the door. Mm-hmm. She lets Wanda in. And Wanda wants to go shopping. Yeah. This is the first appearance of Wanda. She hasn't shown up anywhere else before. And this is the first time that Wanda mentions dreaming as well. I'm sorry. Obviously, I've wretched you out of a delightful dream. But Barbie doesn't dream. Not anymore. Yeah. Get more of an explanation of that a little later. And while while Barbie decides to do her makeup, she sends Wanda on a quest to go make her coffee. Yeah. Find her some cream for her coffee. <laughs> and there's no cream, so Wanda has to go talk to the neighbors and try and find some, which is a super convenient way of meeting people in the house. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> first neighbor she meets is Thessaly. Yeah. Thessaly is also a location in Greece. 
It's a region of Greece. Okay. This is her first appearance as well. She's never appeared before. Her apartment looks very tidy. So the, like the little glimpse we get of it, there's plants mm-hmm. and she's got a landscape on the wall. So it seems like just immediately different from anyone else's. Yeah. And of course, she has uh, soy milk and not cream. Yeah. And Wanda thinks that Barbie probably wants something squirted from the udder of a real cow. <laughs> and so uh, she heads down the hall. Mm-hmm. To ask, oh, I guess she'd have to go up the stairs, doesn't she? She has to go upstairs. Uh, I'm she not comes sure. downstairs with the mug. It looks later. like there are two two doors at, at that floor, though. So maybe they're next to each other. And she's already gone upstairs. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I know she comes down the stairs a page later, or two pages later. Yeah, I I think she's already gone up the stairs. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I love this little bit here. Come on, open up. I know you're in there. We're not here. We went on ages ago. Don't. The eagle eyes of Sherlock Wanda cannot be fooled. I've already spotted a number of clues. Cigarette ash, parsley in the butter, all that shit. Let me in or I call it the bloodhounds. (laughs) So this is Hazel and Foxglove. Yeah. Hazel, to me, seems like a butch lesbian. (laughs) Yes. Right? We're supposed to get that impression that that they're, uh, they're two lesbians who live together, Hazel and Foxglove. Yeah. They have a cool bunk bed loft in their place. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Those are kind of awesome, actually. And I guess Foxglove is up in the bed? I guess so. Mm. Now, Wanda asks her a very cryptic question. How many are you up to now? And Foxglove says 80 and still counting. But I have no idea what she's asked her about. Like, what does that mean? It, it's not explained at all. Yeah. So, I don't know. And Foxglove looks like a female Billy Idol. Yeah. So I wonder what Foxglove's working on that they've got 80 of. Mm. And we get to see cute frog mug. Mm-hmm. I send her off with a little cute frog mug. Yeah. And Wanda is like, oh, I, I'm going to be seen in public carrying a cute frog mug. <laughs> yep. And then George sees it. And George is a grumpy asshole i mean look at that face that is not resting angry face that is active angry face yeah you can also tell he apparently really does not like wanda he doesn't uh, answer any of her questions completely ignores her and not only that just like is burying his teeth at her like a like an angry chimpanzee yeah yeah and And she she just brushes it off she takes it great why, I'm Danny. Thanks. Thank you so much for asking this. Oh, don't worry. It's not my cute frog mug. I'm carrying it for a friend. <laughs> you know, the thing you don't have, George. <laughs> yeah, probably. We find out that Barbara's makeup is not what you'd expect her to be wearing, especially based on the former Barbara. Yeah, rather than putting on a little mascara and lipstick, she's uh, drawn a chessboard on her face. Which, if you're already like that pretty looking, I guess when you add makeup... Why try to add it to look prettier? Why not add it to go in a whole new direction? Yeah. Or keeping with a game of you being about identity, maybe she's trying to figure things out. Mm. Try on a few different identities. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I don't know if I mentioned that that is also the first appearance of Fox, Love, and Hazel. We no, you didn't say that. We haven't mentioned them. We haven't seen them before. Or or George, by the way. They're all new. All characters. Tiffany's that they mentioned going to is a high-class... New York department store, well-known for, for its expensive jewelry and perfumes, and uh, known for the both the book and movie Breakfast at Tiffany's about a character who doesn't have much money but goes to Tiffany's anyway. 
which is what they're going to do. So I just noticed um, on the previous page when mm-hmm. Wanda and George meet on the stairwell in the middle panel, um, one of the uh, George's hand, his right hand is actually um, has his fingernails colored in the same color as as Wanda's. I think that that's a possibly a printing mistake. Yeah. Yeah. That's from the original printings and the original colorings. That is a mistake. It's corrected in the new Absolute Sandman colorings. Actually, in the Absolute Sandman, it looks like Wanda's nails are pink instead of a darker red. Mm. But uh, George's are definitely skin colored. They're yeah. The same color as this flesh there. Yeah. Yeah, all sorts of little mistakes uh, show up in comics. Oh, yeah, I can believe it. end up fixing later on. We finally get to see Morpheus in the dreaming. And again, thankfully, we have Matthew there to go, um, so what's going on? So you can tell me <laughs> so that the people paying attention can know what's going on. <laughs> yes, it's very important that we have someone involved in the comic who knows as little as we do. <laughs> yeah. And dream explains past and future both cast the ripples into the dreaming Matthew. Something is happening. That is why I have come to this place. Just wait. And then everything turns inverted mm-hmm. and Matthew is shocked. And dream explains that was a beginning, Matthew. Something traveled from one state of existence to another. It came from one of the more distant scaries of dream. Let us observe the consequences. A scary is a small rocky island uh, usually defined to be too small for human habitation. So you can actually see them. You've been on the ferries out here, and you can actually see, you'll see like a little bit of rocks just sticking up out of the water somewhere. And it's not big enough to be called an island or anything like that. And that is a scary. Mm. Probably because it's very scary if you're piloting a boat at night. Uh, I think it comes from a Norse word meaning rock. Hmm. It's yes, it's from Old Norse scare related to scara to cut off. Ah. It means an isolated rock in the sea. Okay. Yeah. It'd still be pretty scary if I was on a big old boat and mm-hmm. unsure where where <laughs> yes. the rocks were. I know, I'm sorry. Being able to look things up on the internet really ruins those what's the deal with kinds of humorous <laughs> observations. Scary, is that because it's scary to meet them? No, it's actually from uh, the old Norse word for (laughs) never mind. (laughs) So Dream pulls out his sand Mm -hmm. and tosses it into the water. Yeah, making mud. (laughs) Mud is very powerful. It instead kind of looks like it makes these big whirly windy things. Yeah. It's like he threw um, a Mentos into some Coke, Diet Coke. Yeah, it is. That is what it seems like. Oh, I skipped over the credits also. I'm sorry. Written by Neil Gaiman, drawn by Sean McManus. We have a new artist. Colored by Daniel Vazo, lettered by Todd Klein, edited by Karen Berger, and assisted by Lisa Quitney. Interesting. Great winds are coming, Matthew, and darkness and much pain. Do you see? One of the scaries is dying. I fear only grief can be the outcome. So what are you going to do about it, boss? Do about it. The scaries are distant islets in the shoals of dream. They live, they die, they come and go. Why should I do anything about it? And we're back with Barbie and Wanda on the subway. Yeah, Wanda feels like subways are like a magic carpet. (laughs) A magic carpet that smells like urine. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's interesting, one of these... uh, 
people on the subway who the person in the foreground who's reading a comic yeah he has like pointed ears and a pointed nose yeah the salmon annotations notes him we're pretty sure that's just the artist fooling around okay drawing somebody you know that's kind of a background character but gets to be in the foreground and (laughs) making him into possibly one of the fairy yeah, he looks like a goblin or something. As far as I can tell, that is not at all relevant to anything. It's just the artist going, hey, I'm going to do this. Just trolls hanging out on the subway reading comics. That's right. The artist is trolling you. Literally. Our two heroes, uh, Wanda and Barbie, are speaking with an old woman uh, who's collecting change. Mm-hmm. And she seems she seems really nice. Um and then she sees a dog, and she's very, very scared of the dog. Yeah. Yeah, you can see she's going into just a full panic attack. Mm-hmm. And she keeps saying, I don't like dogs. I'm scared of dogs. I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Over and over again. And the owners give the, he's a puppy. He's on a leash, so lay off, will you? As though fear is rational. Mm-hmm. If somebody tells you they're afraid of dogs, then you should say, okay, well, I'll keep them over here. Yeah, but I don't even think that would have helped for her. Like, she just needed to run far, far away, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it just uh, triggered a really bad memory for her. Yeah. Wanda's a little dismissive, which is a little sad of that. And Barbara's the one with some empathy here. Mm-hmm. Wanda's a thick-skinned city dweller, I think is what we're hearing. Yeah. And calls her Barbie Bubala. And Bubala is, uh, is Yiddish for baby. It's kind of used in the same way is like sweetie yeah yeah this is a city of crazies the art lies in not letting them get to you i don't like dogs i mean jesus baby if i let it get to me i'd never go outside the door this is the twilight zone i'm in it you're in it the i don't like dogs ladies in it shit happens this is new york we control the vertical or was that the outer limits <laughs> So that's a reference to both the Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone and the Outer Limits yes. TV series. Yeah. So what's the We Control the Vertical? Is that a line from one of those uh, shows? The Outer Limits intro said, We control the horizontal. We control the vertical. You are now in the Outer Limits. Okay. Yeah. I only know that the Outer Limits is a TV show based on the name. I have no oh. idea what it actually is. The Outer Limits was a TV show in 1963 that was very much like uh, The Twilight Zone. Okay. Here, I'll... Uh, there is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image. Make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur. Or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Whoa. Right? Yeah. 
That's a cool intro. It was like Black Mirror, like The Twilight Zone. It was a bunch of different uh, individual stories that were generally creepy or scary. Yeah. So I guess what she's saying there is she says that it's The Twilight Zone, but then she ends up quoting Outer Limits and she realizes it partway through. Okay. Yeah, they're they're both similar, yeah. The I don't like dog lady runs up the stairway out of the subway, uh, still all the while uh, repeating that she doesn't like dogs. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for her, she happens to run into someone who looks like a very large dog. Yeah, Martin Tenbones, we find out. Well, we've seen Martin Tenbones before. Mm -hmm. He was actually featured uh, in Barbara's dream. We saw him walking with her in that dream. So this is definitely him. And... Yeah, she actually uh, urinates herself. Big dog, no. And there is a yellow puddle underneath her after this. Mm. And we're back to Barbara and Wanda. Yeah, they head into a cafe to grab something, some coffee, Mm -hmm. before they go to Tiffany's for breakfast at Tiffany's, apparently. Yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's then? Not yet. Breakfast first. Window shopping later, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. In panel two, Wanda points out, if you don't dream, you go cuckoo. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit of a reference. If you don't dream, you go cuckoo. The cuckoo is something in this. Yeah. But it's also true that if you don't get to dream, if you don't get to enter your REM sleep, you can become psychotic in a matter of weeks. Whoa. Yeah. The realness. Mm-hmm. Apparently dreams are important. Yeah, and Barbara mentions that she used to dream, and she used to have this regular dream. So she's re- she's letting us know about the the Princess Barbara dream with Martin Tenbones that she used to have, and she would go back to it, and she went through a load of bad stuff, which is what happened in the doll's house, and somewhere in that the dreams went away. Hmm. It just it seemed like that stuff is what happened after the doll's house. That's right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the doll's house happened, and then after that ho- that big thing happened, that she stopped having those dreams that climactic ending where all of their dreams bled into each other because rose walker was the vortex yes yeah and we get a little bit of a clue about the identity of wanda here yeah and i um after i read this i thought it was done really well Mm -hmm. in that wanda's talking about herself Mm -hmm. and her past um, she talks about having, she has terrific dreams, but she doesn't have sex dreams anymore. Not since she was 12 and she had her first wet dreams. Mm-hmm. And then later now, on. Sorry. Aren't wet dreams something boys have? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then later into her explanation, she drops her old name, Alvin. Mm-hmm. And when Barbie says, Alvin, that's your real name. She says, Wanda's my real name, Barbie baby. Alvin's just the name I was born with. Hmm. You ever tell anyone, Barb's, you're dead meat. And so I feel like in just in those two lines, Neil manages to get across something that for trans people is is a very difficult thing to get some people to understand that like people don't have a right to your old name. Uh, that's not your name. It's yeah. not your real name. It's just it's the name you had before. But it, it, no one, no one is owed that, and and people's fascination with it and obsession with it is really kind of harmful. I, yeah, I totally agree with you, and it's the kind of thing that 
if the reason for the name change were not, say, their trans identity, but merely, look, I didn't like that name my parents gave me, mm-hmm. people wouldn't have a problem with, oh, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah. It wouldn't be like, no, listen, I'm going to keep calling you Ducky because your parents named you Ducky. No, whereas it, for some reason it becomes this whole other spectacle yeah. when a person transitions. What I liked about this is that it didn't get preachy. It didn't get detail-oriented. He just manages to get across. Neil manages to get across uh, within just two, three lines that, oh, yeah, by the way, this isn't a thing you should do. If someone tells you what their name was, that's cool. You get to have that. Don't bring it up and don't tell other people. Right. Yeah. And it's just it's done very concisely. Mm -hmm. I like that. She also mentions the weird zoes. Mm-hmm. which is pretty obviously to anybody who knows what Bizarro is from the Superman comics uh, as a reference to that. Bizarro is this weird, flawed, reverse clone of Superman mm-hmm. who does everything kind of the opposite in this almost hilarious way. Uh, me love you, therefore me crush your skull. Okay. It's, it's really, it's it's like it plays with how can you be as ridiculously opposite as possible uh, but he's also really, really powerful and fled off into space and made his own cube planet and cloned Lois Lane to make a bizarro Lois that he's in love with. It's bizarre. Uh, anyway, so the weirdos are actual references to that. You would think that this being in a DC comic, that they would just be able to call them bizarros. And at the time this was written, we talked about the crisis on Infinite Earths that had happened that had been you know, wiping out all sorts of old storylines and letting them start new. The Bizarro character had actually been dropped at this point, so no longer existed. So when Neil wrote it, and when it was actually lettered, all of this said Bizarro in it. And then somebody at DC, and we don't know who, freaked out and said, no, you can't do that, and then put Weirdzo over top of every instant of Bizarro. Except... In the initial printing, it fell off of one because this was not done on a computer. You would get your things and set it up and then you would use like a, a basically a wax to put it into position on top of other papers and then it would be used to make a photographic negative. Mm-hmm. So anyway, in this layout thing, a piece of the paper that said Weirdzo fell off. So one of the bizarros in the original printing, I'm not sure if it's in the trade paperback you have, actually says Bizarro still and all the rest still say Weirdzo. So... Now, do you think that that was... Oh, but they also say Hyperman. Is Hyperman a character from Bizarro? No, Hyperman is the is where what they replace Superman with. Okay, so are they trying to say either that in this world you wouldn't read about DC heroes in comics because they're real, right? Because this is in the DC world where superheroes are real. Right. Or is it that someone high up or whomever had that power decided they didn't want to take, they didn't want the words coming out of a trans woman's mouth to be about her acknowledging how she really enjoys this or enjoyed it as a kid and like kind of found solace in Mm. it, right? Like this idea of a world where things were opposite for her as a young trans girl, you know, an opposite world made her feel comfortable or something that she at least thought about? Maybe. 
Like they didn't I, want to associate hmm. that brand with her. I mean, that would just be a be sheer conjecture because we don't know yeah. why somebody did that. Sure. And it, what difference would it make if it had said Bizarro? It, it just would have been like, oh, they know about the Bizarros? And then it might not have said from the old Hyperman comics, they would have said, would they have said Superman? I don't, I don't know. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, it just, it makes me question because this is a character like for them to want to take that recognizable thing out of the speech of this particular character makes me kind of raise my eyebrow, maybe. Maybe it had nothing to do with that, but I also kind of doubt it had nothing to do with that. I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the cis guy going, that wasn't it. Because maybe it was, maybe. Yeah. But we we don't, we don't know. All the the information I have is that nobody really knows. It was just, oh, somebody decided that, okay. And then they had to do it. They ran with it uh, from here on. I will... Tiny bit of a spoiler. This this gets mentioned one more time in a in a comic later by Wanda, and in it they actually draw a weird zo. Okay. And instead of the Superman S on his chest, he has an H. And I have a note from that that is basically, well, by now the artist knew that we were doing Hyperman and Weird Zos because they had heard about the the change with the text, and so was able to put an H on the chest so that it was a Hyperman Weird Zo rather than a Superman Bizarro. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least I, I can think of it as like what the intention, the intention was to have Bizarro and Superman in that. There originally. is absolutely no doubt that this is meant to be Superman and Bizarro. Yeah. Like, like the, the, the details, the square planet somewhere in outer space, uh, they did everything backwards. Us do opposite of Earth things in Weirdzo world. They had white faces like they were made of crystal or something, and they were all Hyperman or his friends, and all the women were Lila Lake, which is Lois Lane. Uh, and they had this Weirdzo code, and are you okay? So yeah, it's, believe me, that everything that's said there, if you replace Weirdzo with Bizarro and Hyperman with Superman, it's, it's a great... Uh, explanation of what Bizarro was. Mm. I have read an article by a trans woman who, while being young and confused, read this and was like, oh my God, yes, this is the kind of thing that happens to me. Yeah. Although I will say, we can talk about this when we're done, the the entire arc, that person does have some issues with Wanda and okay. the way that Wanda's handled. Not necessarily here. Sure. I don't want to spoil anything. So yeah, I don't know, maybe... Maybe, but at the same time, I don't think there's much in the way of covering up who Wanda is uh, or what's going on or that they're making them at least a little sympathetic. Wanda is a little mean to the woman on the subway, right? Dismisses her while Barbie gets to care, which is a little too bad. Mm-hmm. But also... Uh, that plays very easily into the dynamic of the person who has lived in the city for a long time mm-hmm. versus the person who is new to the city. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's a dynamic you would have done with any other group of characters. Yeah. Um, Wanda is just, has been here longer and so has taken Barbie kind of under her wing. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that yeah, that's a dynamic you see regardless of gender, regardless of anything else is, is shown again and again and again, specifically in stories about New York. But the, the people from disadvantaged populations don't have empathy for other disadvantaged populations. I'm not entirely sure um, if that's I, I accurate. Don't know. I, the I people that it's... I know here in a big city sure, are I'm... pretty caring. 
Yeah, I mean, I just don't. I mean, I don't know if you if you can paint everyone with exactly the same brush for right? sure. Like, and and also being a trans character does not mean they have to be morally perfect at all times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But it kind of sucks that the blonde-haired femme cis woman gets to be nice to the homeless, mentally ill black woman. When, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a little convenient. It is a little convenient. And Barbie's little uh, kind of, I don't want to call it a breakdown, but her mm-hmm. her um, her speech at the, at the cafe, yeah. she drops a couple of interesting things. Uh, it's been two years since... She left Ken, so since uh, the episode where their dreams all bled into each other, mm-hmm. she says S-E-X, <laughs> yeah. which was what was coming through yes. Ken's dream into hers, and she actually says it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we find out that after they split, but while they were still living together, mm-hmm. Ken started dating someone named Cindy, or at least bringing Cindy home. Yeah, Cindy is the name of a British fashion doll created as a rival to Barbie in 1963, four years after Barbie's launch. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> I am not kidding. S-A-N-D-Y. Mm. Yep. Perfect. Yeah, it's the the perfect name for the, the second uh, woman in Ken's wife, yeah. And then we find out that Hal um, from Florida, the mm-hmm. old landlord, uh, hooked her up and uh, got her a place here in New York um, via an old friend named Scarlett. Now, we didn't meet Scarlett. No, we haven't met one. Scarlett at all. Okay, so we're just kind of assuming that Scarlett is also another drag queen, probably. I'm guessing that sounds like a drag queen name. Well, and it? they were in shows together years yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. And then we get to see Martin Tenbones, who is not having a good day. No, he looks real messed up already. Yeah, but it's a, a great little brave hero speech. <sighs> This is a bright place filled with frightened people and fast hard things that hurt and wound. No matter. I swore I would remain by her side forever and until death divided us. I must walk until once more we are reunited. This place is frightening, but I am not afraid. People shout. High stone cliffs tower upon each side of me. I am brave. I am not afraid. That the land may not die, I must walk this distant land and be not afraid. My death hovers near me, screeching and fluttering and giggling, a ghost death in a ghost world. I tell myself I feel only ghost pain, and I will not let it hurt me. I am not afraid. O Princess Barbara, protect me now as I have protected you in days long past. O Murphy, watch over me. I will not be afraid. And already it looks like he's surrounded by police officers. Yeah, right? there's a car that's hit a, uh, hit another car and there's smoke coming off and there's people like holding their arms back in shock and it looks like somebody trying to go boo, get away or something mm-hmm. and pointing. Yeah, uh, he is not hidden in the city as a giant dog man. Uh, yeah, he kind of looks like a bear. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, now, as Barbara and Wanda continue to walk through the streets, um, they continue their conversation about about comics. Um, Barbara wasn't allowed to read comics when she was a girl. They weren't ladylike, and uh, her dad wouldn't want her to do things that were unladylike. Yeah. Again, we're getting back to issues of identity, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking with a trans woman what it means to be ladylike, and other people saying that's not ladylike. Wanda lets Barbara know that uh, 
that she's pretty sure that her parents just tell their friends that that she's dead. Hmm. Um, and she still talks to her Aunt Dora, but her Aunt Dora just says, you know, I'm praying for you, you poor soul, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And Barbara herself says, sometimes I look in the mirror and I don't recognize me. Again, mm-hmm. with not knowing her own identity, she doesn't know who she is. Mm-hmm. She's putting on these face paintings, trying to figure things out. And their their conversation is kind of um, interrupted by this police officer who's sort of shouting at the rest of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing to see here. Move yeah. along. Nothing to see here. <laughs> and uh, and she she spots him. Um, she and spots Martin Tenbones. Recognizes him instantly. And he recognizes her. Princess, my princess, fire! Oh, and they shoot him. Yeah, uh, a lot, a lot. A lot. He lands at her feet, and they get a little bit of a conversation before he dies. I love her face when the cop says, back off, that thing may still be dangerous, and she just looks at him and goes, no. Yeah. Ugh, and her makeup's all all, uh, smudged at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and Martin Tenbones tells her the land needs her and that she must come back and fulfill her quest. Around his neck, the porpentine, take it. Please, princess, take it. The cuckoo, it will destroy us all. I love you, princess, and I am sorry. I said I would not leave your side, not while I lived, not ever. I... And then they they pull her away from him, and uh, and he dies. Yeah. And back in the land, Luz, Pranato, and Wilkinson, who we finally get to see. Mm-hmm. Luz, it seems, can feel when their friends die. Yeah. Luz is the one who already said they felt when the Tantoblin died. Yeah, Luz is the is the bird. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Pranato is the little monkey in the mm-hmm. in the red hat. Yeah, the usher's outfit is what yeah. that kind of looks like. It definitely looks like that. Yeah. And then that means that who's that final character? What's his name? Uh, Wilkinson. 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 I guess is a rat in a in a, a journalist's outfit, like an old fashioned journalist outfit. Yeah, he's wearing like an old press outfit, but he also kind of feels like John Constantine. Like with that trench coat and hat, although he does, it does say press. He looks like a PI, but he's got the journalist, yeah. like the press um, ticket. So yeah. yeah, just an old fashioned journalist. Yeah. They're not sure they believe Luz. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've never, as far as we can tell, Luz says that they feel when someone dies, but they don't know that that's true. Yeah. Right? They they didn't see the dead body that's outside. They yeah. haven't, you know, so they have no idea. And um, Wilkinson is pretty, got some pretty dark humor in response to it. If he is dead and if she's not on her way, well, then we're going to think he was the lucky one, dying early, getting it over with. Well, you've got to laugh, haven't you? Wilkinson? Yes, Luz? For Murphy's sake, be quiet, please. 
Mm, yeah, Murphy is not. Well, that's Murphy is their god, I guess. Uh, I mean, uh, Pernaldo seems very upset well, by we, this final panel. We know Murphy's law, right? Yeah. Anything that can go wrong will. <laughs> so maybe that's who their god is. is maybe. Murphy. Yeah. I just uh, Pernaldo in this last shot is just covering his face. He's very upset at the idea yeah. that there could be no princess. Yeah. That they would have lost uh, Martin Tenbones without. And for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. And with it, the the porpentine. Yeah. I have no idea what the actual importance of the porpentine is, mm-hmm. but I'm very invested in it. <laughs> it's a very important MacGuffin. Yes. Wanda gets Barbie home. Mm-hmm. George is being creepy. Yeah, he's Just hovering outside her door. Hovering outside her door. <laughs> but uh, Wanda tells him to butt out. It's none of, uh, none of his business. Yeah. And Barbara looks in her hand and notices she has the porpentine. Mm. It looks a little different from the first time we saw it when it was all spiky and, like I said, much more porcupiney. Oh yeah, right. And now it just looks like a gem on a on a brooch of some type. I'll have images from the initial appearance of the porpentine and Martin Tenbones up in the show notes at thedreaming.motivedust.com. You can check out. Hmm. And so as she looks at the gem in her hand, she says, it's all coming back. Martin Tenbones and the porpentine and the land and the scary thing, the cuckoo. And then her room is suddenly filled with blackbirds. Yeah. Who then disappear, which makes me think maybe they were there the whole time and she just didn't see them until the porpentine revealed them. And then that made them leave. Mm. Is that what the, the white disappearing means that? Or does it mean they're still there and she just saw them? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. She's just sitting there holding herself. Please, no, it isn't real. It was only a dream. What's happening to me? One of the birds flies up the stairs to see George. He catches it in his hand and takes it into his room and then eats it in one bite. Yeah. And looks at a poster of Barbie that he's got, a big blown up photo of her. But she seems to have, like, mouse ears. Isn't that just a hair? Oh, maybe a bow in her hair. Just a bow in her hair. And then even the way her name is up in the corner, it's written like the old, like in the old Barbie font. Like Like Barbie doll, yeah. It's not exactly like it, because I think it would be a a copyright issue. It's Um, very reminiscent of an actual Barbie shot, yes. Yeah, it's very, very similar. And we get to see him smile for the very first time. You don't know us, Princess Barbara, but the children of the cuckoo know you. Oh, yes, we know all about you. End of chapter one. (laughs) Okay, so there we go, a game of you. We have several chapters of this to get through. What do you think is going to happen next? I think that the land... And little aspects of it are going to continue to come through to her on our side. Mm. I don't think she's going to immediately travel to the land. I think it's going to keep kind of crossing in and and whether and she is going to be the only one who can see it. Um, And that way we get to still use all these characters we got introduced to in this first issue. (laughs) Like I'm pretty sure that's going to be kind of the other characters navigating around her while they all think she's going crazy. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. 
Okay, so we're going to keep things separate and we're going to have some more back and forth. Maybe Pranato and, and Luz and Wilkinson will head over. But how can they? They won't have the... Uh... Mm, she's got the porpentine now. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. What else? Any Any long-term predictions on how this is going to turn out? Long-term? Yeah. Any ideas where this eventually is going to end up? I think eventually... She is going to have to go into the land to save it because Dream is saying that it's just another little um, tiny island within the Dreaming Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, it's dying, it's sinking under. But I think she is going to sacrifice herself in some way to save it or do something like that. And maybe Dream will intervene to stop that happening or Mm -hmm. maybe. Okay. Well, we'll have to find out next episode. You've been Dreaming of the Sandman, Issue 32, A Game of View, Chapter 1. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming, and we'd sure appreciate it if you'd tell your friends about us. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. <laughs>